Pastor Aaron, Miss Heidi, appreciate that much. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. If you need a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the back of the pew. Ephesians chapter number 4. As we get back to our series, What is Church? Today we look at uh, the body united and uh, in our action. And I think it says arsenal. That was what was left over from uh, last time. But it's our action. And uh, we'll review a little bit about the arsenal. But Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, we're going to look in verse number 11, kind of where we had begun just a few weeks ago, and so we'll pick up as we define what is church, and we look at what is the point, what is God's design about the local New Testament church, what he intends Fostoria Baptist Church to be, and every other local church. Ephesians chapter 4, let's look down at verse number 11, and we'll pick up uh, there in verse 11. He gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, and we noticed last time that this, uh, the makeup in the Greek tells us the, that verse, the beginning of verse 12 is tied to verse 11. For the perfecting of the saints, then, so that those saints, in essence, then, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what we saw last time from these two verses is that the church, the local church, is a body united in our arsenal. What do we mean by that? Well, as we considered the verses, we came to understand this. Here's God's plan. God's plan for the church is to perfect everyday Christians, to make the gathering of the church an arsenal where each one of us are equipped and furnished for the work of the ministry to edify the, the, the body of believers. That is God's design for the local church in equipping, as we see there in the beginning of verse 12, the perfecting, literally, of the saints, the equipping. I sure am thankful. As we think of Brother Elmer Smith going home to be with the Lord, I'm thankful many, many years ago, almost 50 years ago, that he and Brother Thatcher and many others had a burden for a church in Fostoria, Michigan. A church in which it would, uh, believers could gather together, oh, not just to play church, friend, but to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, to build up the church. And so that is God's design and God's plan. And through that study and through our understanding of these verses and what God's plan is for the local church, we had to pause along the way and evaluate our own hearts. Okay, if that is the case, then is my attitude this morning, and every time I come to Fostoria Baptist Church, every time that I enter a service in a local New Testament church, is it my attitude that I have come to church to be equipped? Is that my heart's attitude? Is that where I, why I come to church? Or is it to mark the to-do list? Or is it just because I have to serve and this is what we've always done? Our attitude ought to be, if we truly understand what a New Testament church is, it ought to be that we gather here together to be equipped. To be equipped for the work of the ministry. We'll see what the work of the ministry is today. I think it's a great truth that Paul brings out in this letter to the church at Ephesus. So then we moved on. As we focus on that truth, we, we came to understand the means of our equipping. How we are equipped is this. It's the preaching and teaching of the whole counsel of God. The truth of God's Word. Thy Word is truth. It's taught and preached in balance, and it's presented throughout the landscape of the Bible. In other words, we just don't focus on one book. We just don't focus on one verse. We take in the whole counsel of God, and we see that equipping taking place as we study Genesis all the way through Revelation, and we treat it as such. So, with that said, we, we finished up our look at the arsenal that God has given us here in the local church by concluding from these scriptures 
that just as many of us work at equipping fellow members, Sunday school teachers and others who, who work at equipping, so it is the responsibility of the whole of the local body, the church. We do be aggressively, personally involved in the work of the ministry. God did not save us to sit on pews. God did not save us to, to be sponges and just to soak in and not give out. God did not save and make us believers, followers of Jesus Christ, and to attend church just to attend church. God wants us doing the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. And that is what Paul is getting at. We'll see in just a moment, what does he mean by the work of the ministry? And I think Christ himself will define it for us. But let's remind ourselves, as we came to a conclusion in that message, we asked ourselves just really simply three things. How do we ensure that the local church is an equipping arsenal place? Well, first of all, we take the truth that we have seen to heart. We make sure that our attitude and the view of a church is biblical and right. That it is an arsenal in which I assemble to be equipped. If my attitude towards the church is not right, then then I will not be able to do the work of the ministry that God has called me to. Secondly, we said this, we must realize that the greatest thing that my church can give me is not more activities, not greater uh, entertainment, not even things that I want or like, but the greatest thing that the local New Testament church can give you and I as believers— Listen, friend, it's the Word of God. The preaching of the whole counsel of God. Don't let culture, don't let modern trends fool you. The best thing that a church can give is the preaching of the gospel. The good news and then everything we need to be followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, the truth of God in its entirety presented through the preaching. Finally, we must acknowledge that we are perfected or equipped for a specific purpose to do the work of the ministry. And so we asked ourselves this, where am I involved in the work of the ministry? Where is my hand touching the plow at Fostoria Baptist Church as we attempt to build up the body, as Paul will say here in the rest of verse number 12? Where am I serving? If I'm being equipped, am I just taking in and not giving out? Or am I about my Father's business? Am I doing what my Savior did when He walked this earth? Am I involved in the work of the ministry? And when we say ministry, we'll see today, we don't mean of just Fostoria Baptist Church. That's really the next part. What we mean is the work and the ministry that Jesus Christ concerned Himself with while He walked this earth. So as I promised at the end of that message a couple weeks ago, today we're going to focus on what Paul means by the work of the ministry, what we are equipped to do. And as is often the case, Jesus Christ himself answers the question for us. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard someone say something to this effect? They ask a question or they make a statement. They say something like this. Where is Christ at work in our world today? Where is he at work? What's he doing? Or maybe they make this statement, okay? And I I certainly have heard this many times. They make this statement. I just don't see Christ working in the world like he once did. And so they make a general statement or they ask a question in that. And uh, it's, where is he working like he did in in, in the days of his ministry? Can I just encourage you with this truth? The answer to that that question, the response to that statement is simply this. Jesus Christ is at work today in 2018 exactly like he was during the years that he walked on this earth. 
He's still at work in exactly the same ways. In fact, he is carrying on, Jesus Christ, the same ministry in many ways. I can't help but think of the hymn. I love it. You probably do too. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. Glory to his name. You see, as Jesus Christ ministered so many years ago when he walked this earth, my friend, he's still ministering and working today. You say, Pastor Henry, how is that so? Well, think of it with me. Great truth. Some 2,000 years ago, how did Jesus Christ minister when he walked in Galilee and, and in Jerusalem and those places? Well, he ministered through a singular, solitary, earthly, physical body. He had a body, he was God in the flesh, and he walked the streets and he interacted with people through a physical, solitary, singular body. Now listen to me, get the truth, Christian. Today, Jesus Christ is ministering still through a body. Now it isn't a singular, solitary body. Oh my friend, it is a multifaceted, spread out, but nonetheless, the body of Jesus Christ. It is the church. And he is ministering in a mighty way, just like he did so many years ago. Ah, you and I as the church, the called out assembly of believers, we are ministering to the same human race that are facing the same problems and issues during Christ's day, that are displaying the same attitudes and concerns of those people that Christ interacted with. And my friend, I am glad to say that the church does the ministry in the same power that Jesus Christ did. We are empowered by heaven above, by the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you, this body of Christ, the church, we have seen it already in our study of what is the church. We have an amazing array of spiritual gifts to accomplish the work of the ministry to which we are called. These gifts, this equipping that Paul speaks of that we have studied, uh, they are uh, 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 given to us by God and the Holy Spirit to accomplish a twofold purpose that Paul lines out here in verse number 12. Notice it with me, if you will. We read it already, but look at it again. So those, uh, those gifted positions, the pastor and the evangelist, the, we've already seen the prior two have, have passed on. God has done with that. And yet we have evangelists and pastors slash teachers, and they are to equip us, the perfecting of the saints, so that the saints in turn can do these two things. The work of the ministry, and then he makes a difference. The building up of the body of Christ. So immediately, as we come to understand verse 11 and 12, we say, well, now, wait a second. He's making a differentiation here. He's saying there's two aspects. There's a twofold purpose for our equipping. The first is the work of the ministry, and that is a different realm than the second. So what will we say the work of the ministry? What realm does it deal with? Well, first of all, we have to understand this. Here is the realm of the impact of the ministry, the work of the ministry. It is the world. The world. Secondly, as we'll see, not in this message, but in messages to come, the edifying of the body of Christ, where are you and I equipped to have an impact? Within the church, the body of Christ. And so we are equipped by God, we are gifted, and we are equipped to the preaching of the Word of God in the local church to impact these two places. Let me ask you this question. As the work of the ministry, uh, you and I are placed within the world to show Christ at work, to reveal him for who he is. So let me ask this. Does the world desperately need the ministry, the work of Jesus Christ in their lives? Yes, absolutely yes. 
Every person that you and I meet that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, my friend, they need to know Jesus Christ. They need Him to work in their lives. He is the answer to all. He is the greatest answer, the only answer. And so our responsibility as a church is that we are to go out into the world. Hey, friend, God never intended the world, never planned that the world would come to our door, that they will come to church to find Christ. Rather, God has ordained this. Just as He did during His time here on earth, God has ordained that you and I go out into the world that we reveal Christ, that we show Christ to them. As in the days of Christ, now listen, think spiritually, follow the progression of logic. In the days of Jesus Christ, one of his names was Emmanuel, God with us. He was God incarnate. Now listen to me, my friend. When we as the church are in the world, can I tell you, you and I are supposed to be Christ incarnate. They are supposed to see Jesus Christ through us. They're supposed to understand, wait a minute, Jesus Christ is real. He is alive today. And though he may not be physically present, he is present on this earth through his body, the church. You and I have a great task, a great work of the ministry as Paul describes it here. You and I are made up, the church is is made up of Holy Spirit indwelt believers. We are that body of Christ. You and I are supposed to make Christ visible. We are supposed to make him present in the everyday places where people are. They are literally to see Christ in you and me. And as they perceive God ministering to them through the body of Christ, the church, as they understand that God is challenging them through us, that God is loving them, reaching them, then, my friend, the greatest truth can come to their minds and their hearts. Jesus Christ is not dead and gone. He is here still on earth among mankind. How? In the form of his church, his body. Christian, when you get a hold of that truth, it will honestly uh, rejuvenate you, refresh you, and in a sense, in modern terminology, it will rock your world. Because you and I, we we, we have good pictures of Christ, don't we? Some of you Sunday school teachers, you use the Abeka flashcards this morning, and some of those flashcards have Jesus Christ sitting there, and he's surrounded by people, and he's teaching, and he's expounding on the truth. He's sharing the gospel, and maybe a picture of, of him there in the synagogue, in the temple, or even better, in the market, and people have gathered around him, and, and they're listening. Now listen to me. In modern day, New Testament church, in your mind, and in that mental picture, you and I are to pluck Jesus Christ out and were to put everyday Christian the church right there. So just as Christ walked this earth and he ministered to people, he did the work of the ministry, you and I, my friend, the, the Christian sitting in the pew ahead of you and the Christian sitting in the pew behind you, maybe sleeping, that's our responsibility. We are now in that position. We are the body of Christ. I'll tell you, my friend, that takes up that takes up the responsibility to a whole new level. That ought to challenge us, say, wait a minute, wow. So so Christ is gone, and yet he still wants the, the world to be ministered to like it was he was here. And in fact, he is here through the body of Jesus Christ, the church. That is our role, our responsibility. Now, I'll tell you, we will come to understand the work of the ministry that we are called to do in this world when we wrap our minds around that truth. So, man, if I'm to do that, guess what? Man, I need to be equipped. Hence the reason that God gave us the local New Testament church. 
the arsenal of the body to equip us to do what? The work of the ministry. Oh, my friend, how much the world needs to see Jesus Christ active and at work now through his church. He is not a God. As sometimes people in the world see him, he is not a God that is far off in the universe that he spies upon us ever so often through a telescope in his heavenly study. He has not left us alone and unattended. Jesus Christ is alive. And he is at work here on earth as he has ever been. And he has been at work from the moment that he ascended up into heaven. He left you and I here. And oh, what a great responsibility we have as his body. His ministry is still going on. It's being performed even today. Okay, then, if that's true, Pastor Henry, if that's the work of the ministry in that sense, and, and we are now, as the body of Christ, to be that expression of Christ in the world, then how is it that we are to engage in this ministry, this work of the ministry, as the body of Christ? Well, let's let Jesus Christ tell us. Just as he did his ministry on here on earth, let's take a few cues. Let's take some instruction from Jesus Christ ourselves. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4, if you will. Luke chapter 4. And boy, this is a great chapter as we maybe correlate it to the other Gospels. We see some different perspective. And uh, uh, we're going to find Christ in this chapter. In Luke 4, he has already made a name for himself in the towns and the villages and the areas scattered around the Sea of Galilee. In fact, uh, if you were to look at verse 14 of this chapter, it says that his fame had spread abroad. So he's becoming famous. He's just gotten done with uh, the temptation in the wilderness. He's, he's started teaching in synagogues and, and performing miracles. And boy, the fame is spreading. So much so that when Jesus Christ entered a city or a town or a village, the people would gather in the synagogue because they wanted to hear this master, this rabbi, this great miracle worker. They wanted to come and, and see what he had to say. They wanted to come and see some of the miracles that he had performed. They wanted to see these miracles miraculous events that they'd heard of. Now, one of the interesting things that we find out in this passage is certainly that there would have been a not-so-small uproar in the, the town of Nazareth. See, Nazareth, and even as we're told in verse 16, is the place where Jesus Christ was reared. He was brought up, as Luke tells us. It was his hometown. And so you can imagine all of a sudden the fame of Jesus Christ is spreading. And people are starting to hear the, the of news of, of, wait a minute, this is Jesus of Christ? Wait, that's Joseph's son. That's a carpenter's son. He's a carpenter himself. And he's doing what? And word spread. And, and boy, you can imagine, and, and forgive me, but in my overactive ADHD imagination, I can, I, I can think of uh, newspapers and, and whether it be TV stations, they're starting to, hey, this is our native son. And so you can just imagine that in the daily newspaper, if they had one, um, that there was a, a special corner of the front page that was dedicated to updates on their hometown hero, Jesus Christ. As word came in, you can imagine some of the headlines. You'll see from these that I was never, uh, God never intended me to be a writer of newspaper, okay? Headlines such as this, home ground boy makes it big. 
Maybe something to this effect in the following one, okay? Nazareth native gaining fame and followers. I like that one. I thought that was pretty good. Um, Nazareth native. I mean, and, and so you can imagine, everybody's like, wow, did you hear so-and-so? And then, boy, it's spreading. And, and whether the paper or whatever, TV station, whatever the case may be, as those headlines came in, Jesus turning heads with unbelievable miracles. And the excitement's building in Nazareth. And then one of my favorite here, Jesus mania spreads around the Sea of Galilee. And boy, things, oh, excitement's just building. Everybody's, oh, this is, hey, that, you, know, you know what happens when somebody gets famous? Everybody's relationship with them grows so much closer. Oh, yeah, we used to play together as kids. You know, and, oh, yeah, we were best friends. We were like this. You know, and can't even remember his name, you know, and they're interviewed yet on TV or whatever. Like, hey. But you can imagine Nazareth. All these people are getting excited. And so what they were looking forward to is this. Now, don't miss it. They're waiting for their hometown son to return, their hometown hero to come home for a visit. And as they did, you, you can imagine what they were thinking. Well, if he's going around all these other towns and villages and he's performing these miracles, he's healing the sick and he's causing the blind to see. And, and I mean, he, he's even raising the dead. This is amazing. What kind of miracles is he going to do in his hometown? I mean, if he did it in those places, he's got to have something special in store for us. I mean, of course, we're his hometown. Maybe they gave him a parade. Who knows? When he finally did arrive. And so the day comes. Here they were. As they were proud of their connection with him, they, they couldn't wait for the visit. They, they were wanting these miracles performed in their presence, their cities. So the day comes. He enters the city. And as he does is his routine on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue. That's where the people were. Now, can I encourage you? What we find about Christ, he always went to the people. And we as a church, we've got to go to the people. It's why we go witnessing. It's why we go door to door. It's why we hand out flyers to VBS. Listen, VBS is not for us four and no more. VBS is for us to reach the community. It's to reach out. That's why we have visitation twice a week. Because Jesus Christ went to the people. And in his body, during his time he walked this earth, he went to find the people. My friend, the body of Jesus Christ today needs to find people. We need to go out. We need to talk to the lost and sinner. We'll see that even in the ministry that we are given here. But notice, as he does, you can imagine, he is either asked for a scroll or someone gives him a scroll. And you can imagine he's unrolling it and, and they're all watching him and he's unrolling. I don't know how you unroll a scroll, but you do. And, uh, and, and you're unrolling it and he finds Isaiah 61. And he reads these verses. Look with me at uh, back and look at with me in Luke here. And uh, um, forgive me, my Bible turned to Mark. I have no idea why. But in Luke chapter four, look what is said for us here in verses eighteen and nineteen. He's quoting from Isaiah. Notice it: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He reads this little excerpt from Isaiah 61. I believe it's verses 1 and 2. He hands it back, the scroll, to what's called the minister, and he just kind of sits there. It seems like that, at least, in, 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 the, in the Bible, in the manuscript, that he kind of says that every eye is fixed upon him. And I just look at like, man, what's he going to say next? Boy, that was kind of a short sermon. Don't know why it's cracks, okay? He just read a couple of verses. That's, what is that? Just like, I, and they just kind of look at him. And then he simply states this in verse 21. You can look ahead. And he began to say unto them, 
this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, I want you to see verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words. Now, I'll tell you, from this passage and in Mark chapter 6, it seems to indicate that after this, he likely taught and preached them the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shared uh, the idea of things that he has shared at other places too. So I think he went on to preach and teach the good news. But I want you to understand there's a problem here. And the Israelites and the, and the natives of Nazareth, they're hearing this and they're thinking, wait a second. You're talking about healing people. You're talking about uh, setting free those who are captive, delivering people. These seemingly physical miracles that he hasn't yet done in Nazareth. And they're looking at him and saying, hey, we've been waiting a long time for you to come home. We've been waiting for you to come back and do some of these miracles we've heard about. We've read in the paper and all those great headlines. We've read about these things that you're doing, and you haven't done any of this. And you're saying today, these things are fulfilled, these scriptures. They didn't quite understand that. You know, in fact, what's interesting, <laughs> we, we are told uh, that in this passage and the other one, they were angry. Verse 28, they heard these things, they were filled with wrath rose up, they thrust him out of the city, they led him to the brow of a hill. You can imagine like a cliff, Nazareth there. They led him there. What were they going to do? Cast him down headlong. That is not a good first message back in your hometown, amen? Cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. What went wrong? What happened? Wait a second. They're thinking, wait, we're ready for all of these miracles to be done. Well, look, get it. Don't miss it. Because it does bear witness on some things that you and I deal with today as the church. You see, Nazareth was the perfect poster child for all of Israel. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, they wanted to witness physical miracles. They wanted to see awesome displays of divine power. They wanted some of their lame neighbors to stand up and walk. They wanted some of their blind uh, fellow Nazarenes to, to stand up and, and be able to see. And boy, these wonderful miracles to be demonstrated and committed by Jesus Christ. And though he did none of those, he quoted Isaiah 5, 61, excuse me, which is a description, as we have seen in our study of Isaiah, it is a description of the Messiah. The promised one. And so here he is. He's claiming to be sent of God. He's claiming to be the, the Messiah, the one who brings victory and, and deliverance. He's claiming to be the Messiah, but yet he's done nothing in their eyes to show it. He was claiming fulfillment, that he was the fulfillment of that Isaiah passage. Now notice this. I want you to understand this. It has rightly been said Okay, uh, forgive me, I think I'm behind here a little bit. There you go. Um, let me back up. That all of Christ's miracles, now notice this, were parables. That's a great statement. If you'll think on it in a moment, you understand. We understand what a parable is. and uh, In other words, every miracle was teaching a deeper spiritual truth. The spiritual freedom and healing that Christ came to offer the souls and spirits of all men. I really like this thought. Every one of his miracles were parables. What are parables? Well, they're earthly stories with a spiritual meaning, with a heavenly meaning. That's a concise definition. So understand it. Whenever Jesus Christ came to someone and he laid his hands on them so that they could physically see, yes, that was wonderful, but that miracle was temporary. 
But I'll tell you, you know what it's a picture of? That Jesus Christ can take the blind spiritually and let them see. That was what, it was a picture, a parable. All his miracles, we know it. They were signs and proof that he was the Messiah. They were a physical demonstration of a deeper spiritual truth. That boy, when he made someone walk again who was lame... Oh, my friend, aren't you thankful today that you have been regenerated? You have been made alive through Jesus Christ. And today, you get to walk with God. It's through Jesus Christ. Every miracle he did, and certainly the raising of Lazarus from the dead, all of these were physical demonstrations of spiritual truths. Literally, every miracle was a parable presented to people so they would believe him for who he was. A physical, tangible demonstration. You know what Paul said? Paul said, yeah, these Jews of which I am, these Jews are obsessed with a sign. They, they want to see all these miracles and everything else. In fact, he put it this way. For the Jews, in 1 Corinthians 1, 22, for the Jews require a sign. He was going through this and talking about all these different groups of people and saying what holds them back sometimes from believing in Christ. And he said, the Jews, oh yeah, they look for a sign. Now listen to me, listen to me carefully. How sad it is that even many people today would rather see bread multiplied or someone raised from the dead physically than to see the transformation of a man inside and out by the saving, transforming grace found only in salvation in Jesus Christ. And such were the people of Nazareth. Wait a minute, you haven't done any miracles here? Oh, if they had understand, understood the spiritual implications of what he was saying, man, they would have rejoiced that the Messiah had come from Nazareth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the one who's going to spiritually deliver us. He's the one that spiritually is going to remove the scale from our eyes so we can see God, know God. That God is going to restore us spiritually. How much greater it is for a person to come to know Jesus Christ than for a person to be raised from the dead. You see, my friend, even in that day, Christ was telling them that the Messiah was in their midst, the promised one that had come to bring spiritual liberation, freedom from sin. But sadly, they didn't want liberated souls, but they wanted temporary physical miracles. They had missed the greater, more powerful work that he wanted to do in their midst. And sadly, it is so today. Now listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Here's where it comes to bear with you and I. You say, Pastor Henry, you said a moment ago that you and I are are called to do the same work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now wait a minute, Pastor Henry. I can't go around healing people. I can't go around raising them from the dead. I, I can't do any of those things. Well, listen to me. Listen what Jesus Christ himself said. He said this in John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father now I don't know about you but I'm standing back saying whoa wait a minute he's saying that you and I who believe on him are doing greater works than he has it's an amazing statement what in the world does he mean by greater works than these I'll tell you when Christ says that he gets my attention He gets my attention. How are you and me? I know me, and I'll tell you, I can't do anything that Jesus Christ did. What are these greater works? Well, let's understand the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus Christ cared more about? Oh, he liked doing physical miracles, but my friend, always, 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 Christ has always valued anything done in the spiritual realm more than anything done in the physical realm. He has always, always valued this heart and the transformation of that heart more than he 
value the transformation of a crippled leg or a blind physical eye. He cares about the spiritual. You see, to heal someone from a physical grievous disease like leprosy or cancer, oh, that's pretty awesome. But to heal someone spiritually from the grievous disease of sin through sharing the gospel with them, it blows that out of the water. The raising of Lazarus from the dead was no doubt pretty cool and amazing. But Frank, can I tell you, here's the sad truth of the raising of the dead from Lazarus. He died again. But I'll tell you this. When Lazarus came to trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior, he put his faith and trust in Christ. My friend, spiritually, he was raised from the dead, never to go back. That is a greater work. We know this well, this this thought. Let's say on the way home today, okay? Let's say going down this road and up... um, um, up towards Kingston. Brother Dell Childs is driving his, his car up towards Kingston and, uh, or his green John Deere tractor, whatever. Anyway, so he's driving down the road and, uh, he's driving, and guess what? There's a car that, a car wreck over the side and it is a horrendous, terrible car wreck. And Brother Dell stops and he, he comes over and there is, is the driver of the vehicle and they've hit a tree or something and, and honestly everyone's standing around because they already know the person's dead. There's a nurse on hand, they've taken a pulse and, and, and they've reached down and they've touched and, and it's obvious, the driver is dead. He, he's hit the tree and he, he's gone. Brother Dell walks up and, and Brother Dell looks at it and says, okay, um, you guys back up a second. And, and he puts his hand on the forehead of the driver and all of a sudden the eyes start moving. And the guy starts to get up out of his thing. <gasps> and all those people, whoa. And all of a sudden, in Michigan, ah, Kingston first, and then the surrounding, the thumb of Michigan, and then all of Michigan, and then even nationally, guess what? Dell Childs becomes pretty famous. The newspapers come out, the television stations, hey, how did you do that? Hey, did you hear about the guy in Kingston that raised someone from the dead? And all of a sudden, they come into Fostoria Baptist Church, hey, Pastor Henry, we're here to talk to you about Del Childs. Oh, yeah, he and I are like this. <laughs> yeah, we are so close. <laughs> and best friends, and, and all of a sudden, we all know him a lot better, amen? Now, you tell me this. This week on the way home, or today on the way home, Brother Dale Child stops and eats somewhere. As he's leaving, he takes out a track. He hands it to the waitress and says, hey, this has a message that will change your eternity. He hands that to the waitress. On a break, a few moments later, the waitress takes it out. and She begins to read, first, realize that God loves you, John 3.16. Second, realize that everyone is a sinner, Romans 3.23. She reads every Bible verse. She reads the statements. And there in that break room in a quiet little restaurant on the way to Kingston, a lady comes to put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There'll be no newspapers. There'll be no television reporters. But I'll tell you, my friend, all of heaven is rejoicing. We've got to be careful as Christians because sometimes, oh, I can't raise someone from the dead. I, I, I can't heal the blind. I can't make the lame to walk. Oh, my friend, you have a power that is even greater than some of the works that Jesus Christ did. Oh, that's sacrilegious. No, it isn't, my friends. That is the word of Jesus Christ. You and I, as the body of Christ, are amazingly equipped and privileged to do the work of the ministry in this world. You and I are the body of Christ 
to do things that he has called us to do. Time is fleeting. We'll expound and explain a little bit more from this passage, but can I just simply ask you this? Are you and I about the work of the ministry? Have we embraced our role as the body of Christ? As we think that all he did in in, in God incarnate in the flesh when he walked this earth and his ministry years, three years or so, everything he did, have we embraced, now I step into that role? Whether it be Kingston, whether it be Mayville, whether it be Columbiaville or or Millington or Vassar or, or Silverwood or North Branch or wherever God has called me, have I embraced that role? If you are a believer, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have been given the work of the ministry. And my friend, God says, listen, you don't have to do it alone. I've given you the local New Testament church to equip you. To give you what you need to do the work of the ministry. Can I tell you this? We know this, and I'm done. Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus Christ as a lad. They found him, and and he said something to the effect of this. Don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? And let me ask you this. You know this week, when someone meets you, believer, Christian, and you handed out a track, or you told them about Jesus Christ, you've invited them to vacation Bible school. The reality is this. People ask us what we are doing. It ought to be easy for us to say, well, I am to be about my Savior's business. Doing the work of the ministry. May God add His blessing to His Word. Father, we thank You so very much for the challenge of Your Word, and Father, what You have given us this morning, and And Lord, I I pray that each heart has been challenged and stirred by your Holy Spirit, by your word, to embrace the work of the ministry in the realm of the world, to to see souls saved. And Father, the the miraculous aspect that, that people can have their lives, their souls, their spirit changed and regenerated forever. Lord, may we not take it lightly. May you impress upon our heart once again this morning that we are equipped, that it is important for us to be a part of the local church, that, Father, that your desire is for us to be plugged in, to be gathering together, assembling together with the local church, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. May our hearts be challenged and burdened this morning. Father, I pray that that you would convict us if we're not about the work of the ministry, if we're not faithful to the local church, Father, if we're not being equipped, and Lord, we've neglected as your children, as the body of Christ, to do what you would have your body to do, convict us, strengthen us, give us grace. May your Holy Spirit direct us and guide us as we endeavor to please you and do the work of the ministry. May Fostoria Baptist Church, Lord, as it was started 50 years ago to do, may it continue for many years to come. May it strive to equip your children to be the local manifestation of the body of Christ in every way possible in the surrounding communities. Father, help us this morning. Speak to our hearts. May we make some decisions. Father, decisions to do the work of the ministry, decisions to be faithfully equipped in the local church, decisions to bring you glory in all things. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing all across.